All right, everyone. Well, we're, we're definitely into the Christmas season. Um, as you can see, all the awesome decorations and the things that are going on. For those of you who showed up Wednesday, man, thank you all very much. I think it looks awesome. Uh, I like Christmas. Christmas is one of the times of year that I really, really love. Now, now, before I jump into that, I know Logan highlighted some stuff that's coming up for us in the next couple of weeks in church. I just want to encourage us. As we're kicking off things like this dessert fellowship this Wednesday and all that other stuff, church, I want to invite you to, to really participate so that we can spend time together. We can spend time reaching and serving our community. I think that's going to be a big deal for us. So I just want to encourage you to look at that bulletin and jump into that stuff. But, but as we jump into Christmas, here's what I'm reminded of this morning. I think, I think that we all love Christmas. We, we love the decorations. We love outdoor Christmas lights like the Allison Christmas Spectacular, which is pretty spectacular, hence the name, Allison Christmas Spectacular. That's right, y'all can clap. clap. Listen, y'all clappy this morning. I like this. Um, we, we love Christmas movies. I mean, really, really good Christmas movies. I mean, there's some doozies out there, and th- there are some that are classics, but it's generally agreed that there is one movie that is the greatest ever Christmas movie. And I think, I think, well, I don't even think we need to talk about it, but I just want to test you just to make sure. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to say out loud the name of the greatest Christmas movie ever. Now, listen, I... You need to say it out loud. Don't do this game where I count to three and I'm up here staring at you awkwardly, all right? So on the count of three, I want you to say out loud the greatest Christmas movie ever made. Ready? One, two, three. I have have no idea what's wrong with you. Literally, I, I heard Elf. Did someone say Die Hard? Did I hear Die Hard? Proud of you, but not at the same time. It's like this weird mixture like... Like, how in the world, you guys, if you did not say it's a wonderful life, you are a savage. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Anyways, that's all a joke because I actually knew I would get like 40 different answers from you as I was asking what the greatest Christmas movie of all time was. Because when you get on the internet, you very quickly find out that the trolls come out to go after every living human being that disagrees with them on the greatest Christmas movie ever. There are fights over and over and over again about Miracle on 34th Street or Elf or It's a Wonderful Life or A Christmas Story. And here's one thing that's really clear. We will never agree on the greatest Christmas movie ever because in our opinion, the greatest Christmas movie is really kind of based on what you grew up on, right? Like you watch that Christmas movie and you have these flashbacks to these moments of watching Home Alone as a child and you remember all those things. It's one of the things that's really powerful about Christmas. It's, it's the nostalgia of it all. Would you agree with that? Like Christmas is very nostalgic. Like the moment you start putting up the Christmas lights, you get the warm fuzzies until the kids are screaming or you're screaming depending on who you are. Uh, right? Like you're going Christmas shopping and you're, you're having these memories. Like it's a time full of memories. Like I'm sure almost all of us can remember one of our Christmases as a kid waking up, running out to the tree and seeing the Christmas lights and the presents all around the tree and losing your brain and whatever Christmas present it was that you opened up that Christmas. Like we, we all have these, they're strong and, and they're powerful and they're emotional and and not only that, but it's a time when we're all getting together as family. Remember coming home for Christmas from college or, or you look forward to your kids coming home for Christmas from college. It's all these times of family together and kids and grandkids. 
Christmas is a phenomenal time. I mean, I love it. I, I could go on and on about that, but that's, that's not what I want to go on today because we're starting a new series for Christmas this time. And as I was chewing on Christmas and praying through what we were going to be looking at, one of the things that stood out to me as I was chewing on it is, man, we really love to celebrate Christmas. And it'd be really easy for us as followers of Jesus to get used to the nostalgia of Christmas and miss the worship of Christmas. We, we don't want to equate the two, and it's really easy for us to do that. It's really easy to go through and have all the warm fuzzies and equate that to worship, but it's not the same. You could very easily miss worshiping Jesus and have all the feels all Christmas long. It, it really could be the most nostalgic Christmas ever, and we never have a moment where our hearts are in awe of who Jesus is and, and what it is that he actually did. And, and I don't want us to do that. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to take a few moments every week, and we're going we're gonna to pause and think about something about Christmas. And the goal, my goal is not nostalgia for us. My goal is worship. Yeah? And when I say that, I, I don't mean you sing a song. I, I mean your heart burns. You, do you know what I mean by that? Like there's something in you that you're just like, man, you, you, you well up inside your heart wanting to praise him for how good he is and how strong he is. Or maybe no words come up out of your heart. Maybe it's just awe. Maybe it's just jaw-dropping. You're just staring at who Jesus is and what he did. And the thing that happens in your heart is just, oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Right? That's my goal for you. And So we're going to spend some time in John chapter 1. So as we jump into this, now I'm going to warn you. The first week is going to get a little deep because John don't play no games when it comes to talking about Jesus. So John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Let me, let me read our verses for us today. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Three very densely packed, almost kind of wordy, poetic sentences from John, where he says these huge things about whatever this thing is, the word. Like if you're reading it, you never read that before, you'd be saying, Well, who is the word? What is the word? Verse 14 tells us of John chapter 1. It says this And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's Jesus. That's the exact thing we're celebrating. This Jesus, this word, he came, he took on flesh. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. He took on flesh and he walked among us. And, and John is saying some absolutely huge things about who Jesus is. He's saying much bigger things than that Jesus was a really good prophet or a reformer or a great teacher or an amazing example about how to live our lives. John is claiming that Jesus is the almighty creator God of the universe. That's, that's his statement. It's big and it's massive. Let me show you a few things that he says about Jesus that make my brain melt a little bit. And hopefully your brain doesn't cramp as we're going through this, okay? If it starts to melt, shake it off and just stick with me because I'm hoping it's worth it here in the end. The first thing he says is this, at the beginning of verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. He, he makes a statement, at the very beginning of everything, the beginning of all time, before all creation, the Word or Jesus was there. He, here's what he's saying. He's saying that he existed eternally. He's always existed. He always will exist. Like, like here's Jesus Forever. Now, I need to let that sink into your brain for a moment. What he's saying is, if you go back 100 years, Jesus existed. 
If you go back a thousand years, Jesus existed. If you go back 10,000 years, Jesus existed. If you go back a million years, 10 million, 100 million, however a cabillion years you can think of, Jesus has always existed. And you're like, okay, well, yeah, we know that. We're in church. All church people know that about Jesus. Well, I, let, let this sink into your brain. At Christmas, we're celebrating that the eternal God who always existed he actually was born. That sounds, oh, oh, everything just blew up. Like I just felt it like it, it explodes out the back there as I'm thinking about. I don't even know how to wrap my brain around an eternal God who decides that one day he's, he's going to be born. It, it's big and it's huge. And, and you may try to figure it out. And I'm going to tell you, I cannot explain how it all works. And neither can you. But Don, John didn't tell us this so we could figure it out. He told us this so we could just stand in awe. Stand in awe of a being who always has existed and always will exist. He's bigger than we are. He, he's, he's bigger than we are. And that can be a huge relief. But, but there's something else. It's not just that he was in the beginning. It says this in the middle of verse 1. And the word was with God. Here's the, the phrase he's saying. He's like, and the word, this is Jesus. Jesus wasn't just always in the beginning. He was right there with God. He was standing next to God. He was beside him. He was in relationship with God. Now, that may confuse you for a moment, but he says it again in verse 2. He wants to say it. He was in the beginning with God. John says this twice. Here's what he's trying to communicate. God and Jesus are two, different, are two separate personalities. Okay, they're, they're separate individual personalities. And, and this is the part where it starts to melt your brain, because what he says at the end of verse 3 is this. Not only was he with God, he was God. Okay, so now everything, this is the question my eight-year-old asked that makes me go, I don't know. I don't know. No, you can't Google it. No, you can't. You, I can't explain it. You can't Google it. Like somehow here's what he's saying. He's saying that here is Jesus, and this is where the church gets the doctrine of the Trinity. He's always existed, and at the very beginning when everything was made, he was right there with God as a separate personality. And at the same time, he was God. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. I, I keep trying to think through illustrations, but there is no illustration that can really make this all make sense. It, this, this doctrine of the Trinity basically says this, that here is God and he, there is one God. He is one. But there are three separate and distinct personalities who are each different and fully God at the same time. It's not, it's not three separate gods. It's one God. It's not three different ways of looking at God. It's one God with three different personalities. It's not one pie of God with three different slices. It's not that. It's all one God and three different personalities. Now, now I already know what's happening. There's no way that you got enough coffee to deal with that in your brain this morning. Uh, I know it, right? I'm not expecting you to have been like, I'm fully caffeinated. I got this. And if you do, well, man, maybe you should get up here because you've got this all figured out and your life is clipping if your brain can wrap, your, wrap stuff around this. Like, like, listen, here's what's happening for me. Here's what I want us to understand. Here's this big, huge, massive, eternal God who's way beyond us. Like, he's way beyond us. And it may frustrate you that you can't figure it out, but you shouldn't be able to figure it out. If you could figure God out, he would not be worthy of your worship. Right? 
Like, I don't stand in awe of things that I can figure out. I don't sit there and go, man, I am in awe of how they made that pizza. I don't worship it like I'm, I might worship the taste of it. I don't know how they did that. But making a pizza, throwing some dough together, doesn't blow my mind. But you start looking at something that's God, that I'm supposed to worship him forever. And listen, it, it would make sense to me that God is way beyond what I can understand. He, the, the goal of this is not for me to understand and dissect him like something in a science class, the goal of this is for me to stand in awe of this big, huge God that's separate but one, and he's lived forever. And then he says something else about him in verse 3. He says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, here's a statement about Jesus. He made everything. Like you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and it starts the same way as John chapter 1, in the beginning. And then it says, God created the heavens and the earth. And here it says, in the beginning, the Word is the one that created every planet, every galaxy. He created the solar system, the stars, all the moons. He created all that stuff. He created the sun. The Bible is saying he made every plant and every animal and every bird and every fish. It says he made people and he made angels. Anything that was made, Jesus is the one that made it. So he's big and he's God and he's strong and he's beyond comprehension and he lives forever and he's got some serious power. Now listen, you, you know all that. I want you to get all that in your head and here's where I want this to really let it sink in. All of that power and all of that dignity and all that eternity, like all of that, all of it decided he would be a cell inside a young woman's womb. And he would grow there for nine months and he would be born as a baby. This is, this is mind-boggling to me. So I want to do something that feels a little cheesy, but I want to introduce you to Boaz. Now listen, do not miss Jesus because I'm bringing a cute baby up here. All right, y'all? Yeah, okay, I, I need to, you to introduce you. Boaz is almost six weeks. Oh, goodness. Oh, look at this. Don't cry, buddy. Don't cry. And don't barf on me. All right. This is Boaz. Okay, now, now here's, here's the privilege of having a baby at Christmas time. Like, you, you get to look at this little guy, and you got to keep his fingers covered because he doesn't know how to work his hands right, so he, he scratches his face. He barfs, he, he, uh, he poops a lot. <laughs> he, if I leave him by himself, there is nothing he can do. He can't roll over. Kid can't even lift his head. Sorry, buddy. It's, it's okay, I love you. <laughs> right? He, he's not strong. He's not powerful. He's not awe-inspiring. He's weak and frail. And fragile, cute, cute as mess. But, but he's not strong. He's not eternal. Right? What I need you to think and picture in your moment, in your brain for a moment, is that the almighty creator God decided that when he was going to come here, he wasn't going to come as a warrior or a king or a being shining in light and make us all just lose ourselves and fall to the ground. He came like this. Does that mess with your brain a little? 
suddenly realize, man, that this God that we're talking about, this God that we're worshiping, man, he's, I'm not sure I get him completely. I mean, why would someone so strong and powerful do that? Okay, before he loses his brain, I'm going to give him to my wife. There you go, little buddy. All right. Um, thank you, Boaz, for being a cute little booger. <laughs> um, listen, I, 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 when I think about that, he, here's the thing that starts to go in my, in my brain. I want to I give you a few reasons why we should be in awe of this big, huge, massive God coming as a baby. Let me, let me give you a few reasons. Number one. Okay, when I was in college, I was 21 years old and I was an idiot. I don't know if I've ever told you that. Maybe you already knew it because you're like, well, you're 40 years old and I can see the idiot in there sometimes, right? Like, like, like I was 21 and I did stupid things. Well, this one time I was doing something stupid. I got in an accident. I, I've told you guys this story before, but I, I broke my back and my ankle. I was in a hospital bed. I was in a wheelchair for two months. And, and let me tell you what was really hard about that moment. As a 21-year-old man, I should be able to run and jump and take care of myself. I couldn't cook, but I could eat. I mean, like, right, I could order pizza. But there was this moment very quickly after that accident happened that it was humiliating because I couldn't walk on my own. I, I, I couldn't get my own food. Like, it, it was not good. I, I couldn't bathe myself. I couldn't clean myself up. I, I couldn't clean myself up after I went to the bathroom. I know that's graphic. I'm going somewhere with that. And it, it did something to me. I'd experienced life as an independent human being that had some power. And when I lost it, it, it was really humbling. Right? Can, can you imagine that? Like I think for some of us, the, one of the fears we might have is as we get older, we, the fear we have is being a burden on someone else, right? I, I, I met a young man. I met a guy once. Um, I met him in tragic situations. He'd been married for six months and got in a car accident, and he became a paraplegic. So now he went from being this brand-new husband. He's a provider for his family, a protector for his family, and now he can't move from the neck down. It was hard, man. It was hard for him. His wife eventually left him because she, she just couldn't take it anymore. Like the, the brutality of having all this power and strength and losing it all is almost more than our pride can take. And the Almighty God is way stronger than we are. And he knowingly and willingly made himself dependent on a woman to care for him. Have you thought about the, the massiveness of Jesus doing this? Have you thought about his humility in all of this? Think about that. Like we talk about people being humble all the time, but it's almost shocking that we actually say as followers of Jesus that one of the reasons we worship God is because he's humble. Let me read a verse to you. Philippians chapter 2. It's this phenomenal statement about Jesus. Verse 4 says this, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be clung to or grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, 
he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Listen, churches, as we go through this Christmas time, I want you to be in awe of the massiveness of God coming as a baby, and I want you to be in awe of the humility of God. The humility of God to come as a baby. And why did he do that? It's not just all of his massiveness and all of his humility, but it's also all of his love. Like the reason he decided to do that, he didn't do it because he thought, man, this is really going to wow him. <laughs> he did it, he came because he loved us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came as a baby as an expression of love. He came to save us and bring us back to God. Like the reason he humbled himself, the reason he suffered, the reason he died, all of it was that he could save men and women. So that he could save you and me. And he did it while we were still enemies. Listen, church, man, this Christmas season, I, I want to challenge you. Enjoy all the nostalgic moments. Like as you make those memories, as, as you're putting up the trees and doing the Christmas shopping, do it. But I want you to take time to actually stand in awe of Jesus and worship him. I want you to be in awe of his massiveness. I want you to be in awe of his humility. And I want you to be in awe of his love. I want you to be in awe that the almighty creator God became a baby. Now listen, I, I, I don't want to leave here without making a few points. And, and here's one. The, the, the challenge for you is that I'm saying we need to be in awe of Jesus. You need your hearts to be in awe of that. But you can't make your heart awe something. Does, does that right? I don't even know if I used awe right as a verb there. You, you cannot make your heart feel awe. You can't. You can make, your heart will feel bored. It won't be, you say, okay, yeah, that's deep stuff. I don't really care. I don't feel loved by that. I feel bored by that. And maybe that's my presentation of it. We'll go ahead and throw that on the table there. But here's my challenge for you. My, my challenge for us is this. My challenge is not, do you feel awe in this moment? My challenge is, have you ever felt awe and worship for Jesus? Not nostalgia. We have nostalgia in church all the time. That's why worship wars exist. Because we're nostalgic about a form of worship. And it's not one generation, it's all the generations. We're nostalgic about this or that, whatever we like. We get nostalgic about worship and we equate it with worship. My question and challenge for you is not, have you felt nostalgic about Jesus? My question, have you been in awe of Jesus? Have you worshipped him? When was the last time? When was the last time that you took a moment and you were trying to spend time with God and you felt something in your heart begin to burn for him? For some of us, it's been too long. Listen, don't, don't go through the motions of following Jesus. Follow Jesus. Don't, don't go through the motions of creating nostalgia around Jesus. Have awe and worship of Jesus. Don't, don't do that because you can come to church your whole life, your whole life. We can come to church our whole lives and sing songs and have emotional moments but never worship him. And I'm telling you, if that's you sitting in this seat, if your heart has never burned, 
What you need is you need a Savior who died on the cross for you. And you don't, you don't need a moment. You need Him to do something in your heart that wakes you up to Him. That's why He came to die on the cross. Not just to make us better, to give us brand new hearts. Listen, church, don't, don't be people who put on the plastic facade of Christianity. Be worshipers of Jesus. Don't try to manufacture it. If your heart has not beat fast for him in a long time, listen, he's gracious and he's patient. Would you just go to him and say, hey, my heart is growing cold. Will you help me? You know what he says he'll do? He says he will help us. If he's going to send Jesus to die on the cross for you, listen, man, then if you ask him for help about worshiping him, he's going to show up and help you do it. That's what he says he's going to do. He's not going to hold his son, give us his son, and then say, no, I'm not going to help you with that. He already gave you his son. He wants to help. Listen, maybe for you it, it hasn't been a long time since your heart worshiped Jesus. Maybe it's never happened. Can I challenge you? You need to do some business with God. Because the question for you is not, um, did I get baptized? Even, as that, even though that was awesome. That baptism doesn't save. Have I been to church? That awesome but it doesn't save have I been a good person that's awesome but it doesn't save the question is have I been saved by Jesus in a way that he actually changed my heart and made me a son or daughter and now I get to walk with him if you've never placed your trust in Jesus and never had a brand new heart listen I want to encourage you today you need to do business with God and find out what is going on and we would love to talk to you at the end of the service. We'll be available to talk to anyone who has questions about this. But, but for this moment, here's what I want for us to do. I want us just simply to be in awe of Jesus. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to guide us through a time of response. Listen, I don't, don't want to drag it out. and I just, I just want you to take a moment in your seat. And there's just two or three things I want to challenge you for. Number one, man, in this moment, if what the thing that God did in your heart during the sermon was you need to worship Jesus, would you just simply just do that in your seat? Just take some time and just stand, on, stand in awe of him. If, if you, uh, the thing that God did in your heart is you realize, man, it's been, it's been too long since I worshiped. I've been good. I've been involved in church, but I haven't been in awe of him. Would you just say, hey, Jesus, I, I want to worship you? And just ask him to help. Confess your hard heart and he'll help. Or maybe for you, the thing that God did, is you, it stood out to you. You've confused nostalgia and worship for so many years. Just repent of worshiping nostalgia and run to worshiping Jesus. finally, for some of you, man, they said it wasn't that it's been a long time since you've worshipped Jesus. There's been no time that you've worshipped Jesus. I just want to remind you of the good news. Jesus died on the cross for you and he came back to life three days later and he says that if you will turn away from your hard heart and your way of doing things and ask him to save you and really believe that he died on the cross, he says he'll come in and he'll change you and he'll make you a son or daughter and he'll give you a brand new heart that worships him. Man, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that today. In a moment, we're going to respond by singing one last song of praise to Jesus. 
And during that time, if you want to pray, you can pray at the altar. If you need to speak to someone, we'll have passion and decision counselors down front, or we can speak to you after the service. We're open either way. Or you can just sit there in your seat and do business with God. This is your time to respond to whatever God would have done in your heart this morning. Let me, let me pray for us, and then we'll sing a song. Heavenly Father, God, in the business of Christmas, I pray you would help us to be in all of you. In, in the running around or trying to get everything done and enjoying all the moments, God, I pray you would help us as a people not to run past this time and only have nostalgia. Help us to be people that worship, like really worship. I pray you would meet us in those moments around this room as, as we'd be trying to worship you. God, I pray you would make our hearts burn and stand in awe of a God who comes as a baby. God, I pray we would worship you because you are worthy of praise. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.